In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do you love a good story? I see a lot of heads nodding out there. I think most of us do. What's your favorite story? What's your favorite book, movie? Now, I know here at the church, I've seen the trading of books and sometimes whole series of books. So I know many of you do as well. <clears throat> at the end of the day, we like to see the good win, the bad lose, and the right couple get together. And sometimes we like to see some surprises in the stories. And this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. Now Amos is the first of at least four prophets preaching in Israel and Judah during this time. Amos started preaching a little while later than Isaiah, Micah, and Hosea. David's kingdom, remember, was split in two by his grandsons. Amos is from the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, and he's been sent north to Israel. Most of us are old enough to know what happened to north and south here, so imagine a southerner coming up here in the middle of the Civil War and starting to preach about how horrible the north is, or somebody from the north going down, which takes a little less imagination, and preaching about the sins of the south. And this call to repentance seemed really weird to the Israelites. And it seemed weird to them because this is a time of relative peace and prosperity. Things were stable. From the outside, everything looked good. But God said that things were rotten on the inside. Like when you take an apple, and it looks beautiful, and you bite into it, and you find a worm. In chapter 5 of Amos, Amos writes, There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court, and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. This is why God's going to judge them. They aren't living rightly with their neighbors. I hate, I despise your festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you may bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's important to note here that God is not unhappy with them. He doesn't hate their worship because he hates organized worship. He hates the hypocrisy of them worshiping him regularly while not loving their neighbor. He hates the emptiness of coming to worship, looking to God for justification while you're oppressing your neighbor. But in that same chapter, Amos writes repeatedly, the Lord says, seek me and live. Amos writes throughout the book, seek the Lord and live. Amos is calling them to turn back to God, not with their worship, because they're all going to temple. They're all going to worship regularly. He's telling them to turn back to God in their actions. And here, Amos tells us that God is going to drop a plumb line in their midst. He's telling them, you can no longer judge yourself by how well your neighbor is doing. Look at the plumb line. He was dropping that line so that there would be a judge, a way to judge themselves against what they were supposed to do, what they were called to do, and not some other outside source. We read the priest in Bethel, the king's man, complains to the king about Amos, and then tells Amos to stop. Amos, you're saying God's going to replace the king. Stop it or else. 
And Amos responds that God has called him by saying, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Listen, I'm a herdsman and a farmer. But God called to me while I was following the herd and told me to come and warn you. Now you're telling me not to? I can't do that. God's called me. God takes his stand in the council of the heavens. He gives judgment in the midst of the gods. Asaph here sees God standing in the midst of all the supernatural beings and giving judgment. And knowing that God is powerful, he asks one of those eternal questions. How long, Lord? God, how long will the wicked be allowed to prosper? How long will the poor, the orphan, the widow, the weak be under the wicked's boot heel? And Asaph ends his questioning with a plea. Arise, O God, rule the earth, for you shall take all nations for your own. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Centuries after Asaph's plea, we see the culmination of his prayers. Jesus has come. Today in our gospel, we read that a lawyer stood up and started questioning Jesus. And the question was simple. It's a question we hear today. What must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus asked him, well, what does the law say? And he gives a response that I think most Christians know by heart, right? Well, to get to heaven, well, the, the law says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus commends him for his answer. To love God and to love your neighbor, that's the summation of the law and the prophets. What the th very things that Amos was begging his neighbors in Israel to do. Just love your neighbor like you love yourself. But like Amos, Jesus had to contend with people wanting to justify their behavior. Because the lawyer immediately follows up with another question. Well then, teacher, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story. It's a really good story. The Good Samaritan. Now this is a story that almost everyone in our country has some familiarity with, right? We have Good Samaritan laws in places. If you were to tell, your, tell someone, hey, you know what? On my way to church this morning, I broke down on the side of the road, and I was having trouble. But then a Good Samaritan stopped and helped me. They wouldn't ask what that meant. They would know the context. They would know what was going on. But the radical part of the story, the surprise, was who did the helping. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. People in Jesus' time would know that's not the safest road in the world. It had a reputation for robbery. And the man was beaten and left half dead. First a priest and then a Levite passed him by. Now, I was talking about this passage with a priest friend this week. We were discussing how you explain to someone what a Levite is. We all pretty much can guess what a priest is, right? How do you describe a Levite's role? Well, different Levites' families did different things. Some were the singers and the musicians in the temple and in worship. Others served as guards. Others carried the holy items. So in modern terms, they were choir members. They were acolytes. They were servers. They were ushers. Those who have some sort of official role in worship. Now we can stop and make excuses, justifications as to why they didn't stop and help the man, right? Maybe they thought it was a trap. Maybe they looked at the man on the side of the road knew the area's reputation, and said, you know what, you're not getting me today, Satan, and went on their way. Maybe they thought the man was already dead, and if they stopped to even give a look, it would impede their ability to go and lead worship at the temple that morning. Right? If they touched a dead body, they'd have to go and be ritually purified. That means they couldn't do it. 
Maybe they just didn't care. Jesus doesn't give them any motives. We don't know what their justifications might have been. But then a Samaritan came by, took care of him, paid for his care at the end when he had to leave. A better question is, how do you describe a Samaritan today? It's someone you don't like, but you don't like them because you don't like their people. Someone you're prejudiced against. And when the story's done, Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer, the lawyer couldn't even say Samaritan, right? He doesn't say it was the Samaritan. He just says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus responded to him, well, go and do that. Go and show mercy to your enemy. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says the Colossians are known for their faith and their love. They're starting to live what Amos and Jesus have told us how we ought to live. And their focus, he says, is not on their earthly rewards. The money they can make, the skids they can grease, the power they can accrue. No, they're focused on a different reward. They've heard of the hope of salvation, and that's bearing fruit in their life. They don't need to go searching for any other reason to live. They don't need to add anything else to their understanding of God's grace. They have it all in the gospel. And the gospel will, will be made much stronger. God has enabled you to share the inheritance of the saints in light. He's rescued you from the power of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Forgiveness of sins. Now in the great story we're all a part of, we're the ones being rescued. We're the damsels in distress. God heard the cries of his people. He heard the cries of the prophets. He heard Asaph's cry long ago. He heard our cries. And he sent Jesus to rescue us from this broken world. And we're taken from that kingdom, the kingdom of this world, into the kingdom of his son. And we're given an inheritance. And what do we do as members and inheritors of this kingdom? Paul says we're called to lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We live the way that Amos told them that they should live, with justice. We know where we're going, and we know our great hope. We live by remembering the two great commandments, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our souls, and all our minds and our neighbors as ourselves. We live the way that God has called us to live. Amen.